0: Could get your car doors open on this icy morning. And uh, welcome if it's your first time with us. Glad you dropped in on us. And, you know, anybody here need a turnaround? I mean, maybe that's why you're here. You realize, well, my, there's some changes that need to be happening in my life, and maybe God can help so good i 'm glad you 're here for that if you 're watching online maybe you 're stuck at home today, glad that you 're with us, and hope you can show up and we see you in person very soon but we 're going to be talking about this God who specializes in turnarounds for these three weeks as we go back in time to the first Christians in the early church, and how God arranges these dramatic turn of events. ...to change people's lives. God specializes in that. And so we're going to talk about God's Word because we love God's Word. We love teaching it. We love studying it. Which is why we're not only starting a new series today in the book of Acts... ...but we're beginning a new semester of groups very soon. And I hope you will give groups a chance because they really could change your life. It's where you get together with a few other people every week for a few weeks. You learn how to understand and apply the Bible for your life. You experience community and you grow closer to God. So if, you, if you'd if like to get in a group, this is the perfect time to sign up. There's a little bit of something for everybody go online to do that or to the table in the lobby. If you'd like to read along with us today in your own Bible, we're going to be in chapter 9 of the book of Acts. Flip there now. Or you can look it up online or get out your Bible app and uh, read along with us. But we'll have it on the screen for you as well. If you're here with us regularly, you may remember last year we began the book of Acts. We went through the first eight chapters, which basically covers the first year of the early church after it was first born and we see God do some amazing things there, the highlights of the history of Christianity, but now it's a few years later, we're at chapter 9 and the shift focuses, uh, or the, the focus shifts from uh, the first 12 original apostles now to the 13th, the new guy, Paul, who at that point was better known as Saul, uh, a, a prominent Jewish leader of uh, the, the, the community back then. So you need to know the book of Acts is written by Luke, the same guy who wrote the gospel about the story of Jesus. But Luke was also a traveling missionary partner with Paul. So he could record firsthand his his uh, what happened to him. He could relate those stories to us. And he tells how Saul becomes... This very changed person, he starts out as the point man, persecutor of Christians to becoming one of them. In fact, he becomes like the greatest Christian of all time. The the missionary to the Gentiles, a church planter. He writes most of the New Testament letters. And, And I don't say this lightly, this one man's change has impacted the world more than any other person, event, or thing other than Jesus himself. So within a very short time, the church... Has been born and experienced persecution. Uh, The first martyr, you may remember, Stephen, is stoned to death. And it says that those who were stoning him, uh, there was this guy Saul there. It says they laid their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul. And Saul approved of their killing him. Saul began to destroy the church, going from house to house. He dragged off both men and women and put them in prison. Now you have to understand, Saul's motivation here. I don't think it's like Saul is this terrible evil guy. He is a devout Pharisee. He is a part of the most strict branch of Judaism, trained under the renowned Rabbi Gamaliel. And uh, in fact, as he's writing later on in 1 Timothy, uh, in, or in, in fact in Philippians, he's talking about how I, I was like the Hebrew of Hebrews. I was I was like super Jewish to the core. I mean. I was, from a very young age, very zealous for God and and very obedient to the law of Moses. And I was advancing in Judaism far beyond other guys my age. So I'm like all in. He is intense in his faith. In fact, by his own admission, he says, I was persecuting Christians. I was trying to exterminate the church, to stamp, to nip it in the bud while it was still small, and he was pretty good at it too. In fact, he was feared all over the region. He became known as like the first terrorist of Christians because he would go around and shackle moms and grandmas and drag them out of their houses and haul them off to jail. So that's the, uh, the environment. People are scared. These Christians, after Stephen gets stoned, they flee. They Scatter outside of Jerusalem, and so we pick up in Acts nine, verse one. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. Been going on for a while. He says, "Well, Stephen was just the first. We're coming after you too." And everybody's like, "Oh, it could be me and my family are next." They're being threatened with murder. Have you ever been threatened with murder? I have. I mean, in in church. No kidding. And it's probably not what you think. It wasn't a staff member. It wasn't some disgruntled church member, and it wasn't some terrorist plotting against me. It was my friend. It was a kid I grew up with. We were both teenagers. He was an elder son, but he got off into the wrong crowd, got into drugs, became back then, we would call him a hood. You know, and he approached me in the church lobby and accused me of stealing his girlfriend, threatened to kill me right there in church. I didn't take it that seriously, but probably should have because he ended up killing himself a couple years later. But there are Christians all over the world today who are being threatened, being drugged out of their churches, being tortured and enslaved and killed. And it happens far more than we even realize. I mean, these are people who uh, have done nothing other than believe in Jesus. And today it's not happening from Jewish sources like back then. Today, it's more likely to come from secular, atheistic, communist regimes or from extremists in other religions, Hindus, Buddhists, Muslims. I mean, you might have saw on Christmas Day, there was a video posted online. Hopefully, you didn't see it, but some ISIS-linked terrorist in Nigeria kidnapped 11 Christians, slaughtered them right there online as an intimidation to other Christians, like, we're coming after you too. Shot the first one, beheaded the other 10 and so that's happening more than we realize. And why, if you want to keep up with that kind of thing, the persecuted church around the world, pray for those brothers and sisters. You can go to a place, an organization online called Voice of the Martyrs. There's, there's plenty of others, too, but that's a real good one. Look up Voice of the Martyrs. And, and here in, in this early church, again, Paul, Saul at the time, Saul is like his Jewish name, Paul is his Roman name. But he 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 says, "We got to get rid of these Christians because these are Jewish people who are joining this dangerous cult of Jesus fanatics and we can't have God's people going around worshiping a mere man, this false prophet from Nazareth. We got we got to get rid of these people before they do more damage." So Saul sincerely believed he was doing God's will. He thought he was doing the right thing. In fact, he's so hardcore, consumed by his holy cause. He says, we can't just wipe them out here in Jerusalem. We got to wipe them out everywhere. He he like tracks them down. He becomes a bounty hunter and is willing to travel like 150 miles away, probably on foot, traveling up to a week or more just to get rid of more of them. And so we pick back up there in verse 1 of chapter 9. It says, after he's breathing out these murderous threats, he went to the high priest and he asked him for letters, you know, authorization letters, to the synagogues in Damascus. So that if he found any there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. Now, did you notice what are Christians called in the early church? No, they're not called Christians back then. They were just called like believers or disciples, but here you see that they were, they're called people of the way. They belong to the way. Why is that? Because Jesus said, I am the way, the truth and the life, right? Not just like a way or another way, but the way, the only way to the Father, to salvation, to heaven. And we belong to that same way. So here's the point. Is God can reform the most unlikely people. Who is like the last person you know who would come to faith in Christ? What, somebody in your family, a friend, neighbor, coworker, somebody at school. like They would never come to Jesus. Well, that's nothing compared to Saul. He was the last guy. He was an enemy of Christianity. I mean, the only thing you could find comparable today would be somebody like an Osama bin Laden coming to faith in Christ. But that's what God does is he... he intervenes. He reaches down and arranges this dramatic turn of events that will be a pivotal point in history, the most important conversion ever. Verse 3 says, as he saw near Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and he heard a loud voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you're persecuting," he replied. Like, oops, that's a shock. Like, a, I, I thought I was just persecuting these cult members. Now, remember back when Jesus said, "What you do for the least of these, you do for me." Like, if you feed somebody, it's like you're feeding me. Now he's saying, if you ta- attack Christians, you're attacking me, because you know the church is my bride. I love her. You go after her, you got to deal with me. So this is flipping Paul's world upside down. Going on there in verse six. Jesus says, now get up, go into the city, and you will be told what to do. Well, the men traveling with Saul, they stood there speechless, because they heard the sound, but they didn't see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus, and for three days he was blind and didn't eat or drink anything. Now you think, why in the world... Does Jesus make him wait three days? Why doesn't He just tell him right then and there on the spot, "This is how to get saved. This is how you become a disciple." I'm, I don't know, but I'm guessing Saul needed some time to reevaluate his whole life. I mean, his world has just been rocked. He's got to he's got to figure out what this is all about. I mean, as he's sitting there in darkness and in hunger for three days, what's going through his mind? He's got to be thinking, what have I done? How could I have been so wrong? God, please forgive me. I mean, I'm having these Christians put to death. And they were the ones who were right all along. Everything that he had been so proud of, I was this, I was a Hebrew, Hebrew, I was, it's like it's all been swept away. He's been humbled, struck with blindness. Now, that's a that's an awesome picture of what's going on in him spiritually. Is all this time he has been spiritually blind. And so God blinds his physical eyes in order to open his spiritual eyes. So he can finally see the truth. And the truth is found in Jesus Christ. See, today, when somebody has that kind of a eye-opening moment, you know, that, whew, that everything changes... They, today we still call it a Damascus Road experience after this. When somebody's beliefs get completely turned around, they go through this radical change, this 180-degree turn. It's Damascus Road experience. And by the way, not only it, it, does he have to wait three days, I think because he needs that time to repent, to turn, but because Jesus wants to use somebody else to lead him to faith. Isn't that cool that Jesus wants to partner with us in leading others to him, to send us, because that's what happens in verse 10. In Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. And the Lord called to him in a vision, Ananias. Yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street. Ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he's praying. And in a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Lord, Ananias answered, I've heard many reports about this man and all the harm he's done to your holy people in Jerusalem. And he's come here with authority from the chief priest to arrest all who call on your name. But the Lord said to Ananias, go, this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. I'll show him how much he must suffer for my name. So Jesus had a plan to use Saul all along, to redeem the least likely of persons for his purposes. Because you know, the, the, the picture of redemption is so beautiful. See, idea first of all, you could be a slave, right? You're in bondage, you're in captivity, but somebody pays the price to free you, to deliver you from captivity, that's redemption. Or maybe you get kidnapped, you're held hostage and held for ransom, somebody pays the ransom And brings you home. That's what Jesus has done for us. We were in slavery to our own uh, corrupt nature and wrong thinking and sinful desires. We had made ourselves hostages to our own rejection and rebellion against God. And Jesus comes along and he pays the price to free us. The the, the ransom price of his, his life. He pays with his blood to set us free from that kind of captivity. So Saul is going to be redeemed by turning to Christ. He's going to to make a change for the better. He's going to be reformed. And see, the idea of being reformed involves, first of all, uh, rejecting. Like God, he, he rejects the things about us that need to go. He rejects and removes those bad things, those defects from our lives. But there's a lot of stuff in our life that he just wants to redeem. Stuff from our past, stuff about us that can be used for his purposes, right? Um, Think about Saul. I mean, yeah, there was obviously some bad stuff that had to go. But what about his his background, his heritage? God could redeem that for a better purpose now. What about his his leadership and his, his intellect? and his fired-up zeal for God, he can redeem that and put it to work for Jesus now. He can do that for you, too. Some things in your life just got to go. Reject it, remove it. But other things he can redeem and use. But for Saul, it's going to mean suffering. And the irony is, is this guy who's caused so many others to suffer is going to be on the receiving end of it. And we're going to see that throughout the book of Acts, how much Saul suffers for Jesus. Then in verse 17, Then Ananias went to the house and entered it, Placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, he has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he could see again. He got up and was baptized. And after taking some food, he regained his strength. Now, a couple things there are promised and two things happen. First of all, he's promised that you will see again. Lays his hands on him, and he sees again. And he's promised you'll be filled with the Holy Spirit. And so he's baptized. He wants you want to see how baptism and the Holy Spirit are so often linked in Scripture. Notice Ananias doesn't say, just believe in Jesus and you'll be saved. Why? Because he already believes. See, you've got to start with people where they are. If they've never heard about Jesus at all, the first thing he says, you, say you got to believe. He already believes. You take him to the next step. He doesn't say, just pray this prayer with me. He didn't even tell him to repent. Why? Because he's already repented. Obviously, he spent three days fasting. He's very, he's very sorrowful for, for what he's did. So what's his response? He's told, you need to be baptized. Yeah, you haven't done that yet. In fact, this is such a dramatic turn of events. This is such an important conversion. This story is not told just once, but three times in the book of Acts. And when Paul himself is telling it in Acts 22 he says Ananias stood beside me and said brother Saul receive your sight and at that very moment I was able to see him number one number two now what are you waiting for Ananias says what are you waiting for get up be baptized and what wash your sins away calling on his name so he already believes he's already repented. but when does he receive cleansing of his sin in baptism that's the place where it happens and again, understand, it's not the water outwardly that's washing you. That's a dramatic picture of a bath, of a cleansing. But it's inwardly that you're being cleansed of your sins from the, the sacrifice of the blood of Christ washing you. It's just such a dramatic, impactful thing. Don't miss out on being baptized. It is a profound marker of your conversion. It's an unforgettable thing. And understand, it doesn't have to be this big public thing. As far as we know they didn't get a big church service together and let's do the baptism now. Let's set it up for next week when everybody's together. Right then, right there. As far as I know, it's just Ananias and Saul. And that's how we do baptisms. Right on the spot, no matter who's there or who's not. The sooner, the better. And if you've never experienced that, then what are you waiting for? There's no reason to delay being baptized. It's something we celebrate here every week. When people make that the best decision ever. To turn their life over to Christ. That's why we talk about how many baptisms there are. Because it's shorthand for somebody believing, repenting, and identifying with Jesus in his death. You know, you die with him. You're buried in that watery grave. And you you rise up to new life. And you're forgiven. You're cleansed. And you're filled with the Holy Spirit. And that's so important. Because you can't really make changes in your life without the Holy Spirit living in you. I mean... How many of you, you you made a New Year's resolution? Let me see your hands. How many like yeah, no but hardly anybody did, right? Why? Cuz you know you're not going to do it. And for those of you who who did, God bless you. Good luck. We'll check back in a month. We'll see how you do. Cuz <laughs> we need more than just good intentions and willpower to make lasting change, isn't that right? I'll admit it, I'm weak, I need help I need supernatural strength To reform my behaviors And that's what the Holy Spirit does for you God living in you to give you strength And you know, other philosophies, other religions They can help you out in certain ways Yeah, they can teach you principles and practices To reform some behaviors To make you appear outwardly a better person But you know what, they can't change you from the inside Religions, philosophies can't change your heart They can't forgive you. And they have no Holy Spirit to give you power to change. They can't save you. Only Jesus can do that. So no matter what you've believed or what you've practiced up to this point, whatever you were a part of before, you may be very sincere in it, but you're sincerely wrong. Because there are really only two directions in life. There's God's way and there's my way. There's the right way and the wrong way because my way is always going to lead to the wrong destination. My way is going to lead to destruction. My way is going to lead to hell. God's way leads to life and that's why repenting is doing a 180 reverse course change direction. I'm going to go God's way from now on. And the good news is is you don't have to get your life all cleaned up first. You don't have to be perfect. You don't have to be religious. You just need to be redeemed. God's got to get a hold of your heart. And begin to change you because you're experiencing grace now it's not your own power it's not your own works and goodness he's the one working in you to reform you to change you because Jesus already did the work in your place he got the punishment that you deserved on the on the cross he, he got the death that you deserved so that we could have life we could have help and hope and I don't you know if if up until this point you thought it's all about me what I can do how I what I my works my goodness all that. this this probably turns your world upside down to hear none of that will work you got to trust in Jesus and so if that turns your world upside down and you need time to think about it that's fine if you need time to reevaluate like Saul did and like what have i done what have i believed god what you know uh, how could i how could i have been so wrong please forgive me if you need time go ahead take time but you don't have to wait three days and you don't have to fast to do that you don't have to wait for some feeling to hit you and you don't have to wait for some miracle to turn you around because the miracle already took place on the cross I mean it didn't Saul he was right there in Jerusalem the very place where Jesus was crucified where he was buried he was right there where the empty tomb was and yet he wasn't convinced right there where all the eyewitnesses were but he wasn't convinced it took a miracle to turn him around it took the risen Christ appearing to him. And I'm saying to you, you don't have to wait for that. Jesus is real. He's alive. He's, he's speaking to your heart right now. This truth has got to penetrate into your heart. It's not about waiting for something. You make the decision. I want this. I want to receive that amazing grace. Right? The, the old hymn, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I thought I was good. <laughs> thought I was doing right. But I'm a wretch. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Everybody, was blind, but now I see. And I hope as you're listening to this, the scales may be starting to fall from your spiritual eyes so that you can see. Because may, maybe, you know, maybe you're like Saul. You're like, I'm the last person to ever become a Christian. I mean, if somebody had told you, you know, a year ago, a month ago, That you would be sitting here in church, you would have laughed. You would have cussed them out. Not me, I ain't doing that. And the people who know you, they would have never dreamed that you would be in a church like this. But here you are. God can stop anybody in their tracks and turn them around. And so here's that takeaway, here's our big idea. Is never give up on people you think would never convert. The last person you think, that may be the very person that God's going to use for his glory. So as you think about people you know, the most likely to turn to Christ, keep this in mind. Number one, a couple things. First, everybody needs conversion. Everybody. It doesn't matter what you're converting out of. It matters what you're converting to or better, who you're converting to. It doesn't matter how good or bad you were before. All that matters now is where you are with God your current belief and where that's going to take you I mean we're not talking about just people needing conversion that are really you know the all the those people they need Jesus they're down and out they're dysfunctional they're criminal they're immoral people yeah they need well hey you know what good decent upstanding people need Jesus too nobody's perfect I mean there was nobody more moral and religious than Saul but Saul's very religiosity and self-righteousness is what led him to have this false assurance that he was right with God and caused him to do evil things. He was sincerely wrong. And so the problem isn't how good or a, a bad of a person you are, it's who you're trusting in. Are you trusting in yourself, in your own goodness, in your own works to get you to heaven to qualify you? It's like, if I say enough prayers, if I... If I do enough charity, if I offer enough gifts, if I go through enough rituals, then I'll qualify for heaven. No, no, no. That's the very reason God sent his son into this world is because none of us are good enough. We need a savior, we need to be redeemed. So, religious or irreligious, despicable or respectable, committed one sin or a million sins, doesn't matter. We all need a savior. Because if you've broken any of God's laws, and I don't mean just like doing evil stuff. I mean, if you've failed to do the good that God says you should do, then you have fallen short of his glory, and only Jesus can save you. Why? Because only Jesus is qualified to be the perfect sacrifice. Only he was God in the flesh. And only he loved you enough to actually do it for you. So some of you, you may have stories like that. You know, you are far apart from God, and He got a hold of you, and He's really turned you around. He can turn anybody around. And you're living proof. You've got this testimony, this story. Some of you say, well, I grew up in church, and, you know, I didn't have this big dramatic thing. Turn around, I just always kind of believed in Jesus. Well, thank God for that. You didn't have to experience a dramatic conversion. But some of you, you're you're like, (laughs) you're the living proof. God can do it for anybody, right? And that's what Saul says. Later on, he's going to write in 1 Timothy chapter 1. He makes this... This is a profound admission. Listen, to, listen, he says, How thankful I am to Christ Jesus our Lord for considering me trustworthy and appointing me to serve Him, even though I used to scoff at the name of Christ. I hunted down His people, harming them in every way I could. But God had mercy on me because I did it in ignorance and unbelief. Thought I knew what I was doing. I didn't. Oh, how kind and gracious the Lord was. He filled me completely with faith and the love of Christ Jesus. And this is a true saying, and everyone should believe it. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, and I was the worst of them all. But that's why God had mercy on me. So that Christ Jesus could use me as a prime example of his great patience, even with the worst sinners. And then others will realize that they too can believe in him and receive eternal life. That's why God did it. Like, if he can save me, he can save anybody. I mean, you, maybe you thought you were okay with God. That your way was the right way. But now you see, uh, God, how could I have? My way was the wrong. I was sincere, but I didn't know any better. I, I, I've, nobody told me. But now I do know there's another way, and that way is Christ. I mean, think about it right now. Who would you vote for today as the least likely person to become a Christian? I mean, would it be an atheist like Sam Harris or Neil deGrasse Tyson, J.K. Rowling, PewDiePie, Kylie Jenner? Maybe it would be Tim Cook or Mark Zuckerberg or George Soros. Jack Black, Seth MacFarlane, Jim Carrey, uh, who else? Guys like uh, Chris Rock, Bernie Sanders, Howard Stern, Kid Rock. When's the last time you prayed for any of those people? What if one day we have Pastor Bill Maher? Or worship leader Lady Gaga. I'm not kidding. I mean, really. Who would have thought Kanye West would become a Christian? Or Chris Pratt? Or Chuck Norris? Or Alice Cooper? I mean, do you know who showed up this past Christmas for church? Yeah, Vince Neil, lead singer of Motley Crue. So, who knows? Pray for those people. But think now about the people you know personally. Who's the least likely to turn to Christ? Would it be my dad? My dad will never become a Christian. No way. Uh-uh. Or maybe it's your spouse. I just don't think she's ever going to turn. Or your daughter. Uh, she's, she's just drifted away. I don't, she's kind of beyond our, our reach now. My, my cousin, my brother-in-law, they're just hopeless. Nope. That friend, that coworker, that neighbor. Man, never give up never give up on people you think would never convert because you just never know. Everybody needs a conversion. And then real quick, second point is everybody needs a witness. Again, isn't that awesome that Jesus sends Ananias to lead Saul to Christ? He could have done it right there on the road, but he wants to use you and me. And, of course, Ananias is like, not me, Lord. I mean, I'm like, don't send me to that guy. Don't you know about that guy? I mean... He's, he's awful. If I go and talk to him, he's, he's not only going to make fun of me, he's not only going to reject me, he's going to kill me. Not, don't send me there. Can you blame him? And not that the way we do with a lot of people? We think, Lord, not that guy. That guy is so mean, so hostile to Christianity. That she is so arrogant and so vulgar. Don't send me to her. She's not interested in any of this stuff. When when all the time, God's like, no, that opponent of Christianity, that's the one I want to use and make them a great proponent of Christianity. And that's why we can never be so prideful and not go to people who are not like us, who are different than us, and say, well, they're not going to be interested. They're the very people God may want to use. So you got to, they may not be ready right now, but you got to be patient. You got to be compassionate and understanding, because they don't know any better, really. I mean, that. They're spiritually blind. Their their minds are darkened and clouded. They they've never had anybody tell them. So never give up praying for them. But don't just pray. Go and talk to them. He said, "Well, I don't know what to say. And what if I say the wrong thing? What if they have questions that I can't answer? What if they what if they?" ridicule me? What if they reject me? How are you going to know unless you go talk to them? You'll never know unless you ask. Maybe, maybe they've been waiting for somebody to come and invite them, to include them, to introduce them to the best thing ever. You could be their Ananias. How cool would that be? And so who could you pray for this week? Who could you talk to or invite to come with you next week as we see what happens to Saul next? And how God can redirect the most misguided life. Let's pray about him now. Father, would you give us some names? Just drop some names into our consciousness right now. Bring them to mind. People, our family, friends, neighbor, whoever. Somebody that needs Jesus. Maybe the, the hard case. <laughs> the, the least likely, Lord. Maybe there's some right here that are like that right now. And uh, Lord, thanks for stopping me in my tracks, getting a hold of me helping me to do a 180, because I was going the wrong way. But thanks for for turning me around so that I could put my trust in Jesus. And Lord, right now, maybe there are others who have lived in that kind of unbelief and they just didn't know and didn't understand, but now they do. So, God, get a hold of them right now. And We're going to pray for friends and family. Help us to show them the way, because we're people of the way. We belong to the way, so help us to lead them that way. God, give us courage. Give us words to reach out and bring them to you, because we're praying that in Jesus' name, amen. So this could be your Damascus Road experience right here, right now. You came in here today not even thinking about changing your life around, but here you are, and you've heard the truth. Do you believe Jesus is the way? And up till now, maybe you've thought, well no but i mean i believe in god i'm a spiritual person so was saul where'd that get him no but you know jesus is is he's a way he's a he's even a good way no he doesn't leave you that option either he's the way or he's not and if he's not the way then walk away but if he is the way then turn around and experience his amazing grace And I know that's humbling to have to admit that you were wrong. Nobody likes to do that. But we've all been there. We've all had to say I was going the wrong way. And it's humbling to be baptized. I know, to be lowered down in water and everybody see you come up looking, you know, wet and messy and all that. It's humbling. But that's exactly what we need. And so that's why I'm going to have folks down here ready to help you with that. If you're ready to be baptized today, we're ready for you. Come down talk to them. Today, after the service... Tuesday night, Wednesday morning, right on the spot. doesn't matter when. If you need a little bit of time, that's okay. But don't delay. What are you waiting for? If you have questions, if you have things you need prayed for, you can come up for that too. Or you can come Tuesday at 5.30. The elders invite you to come and they'll pray for you Tuesday.